A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. It seems odd that an international bank for building roads and airports in Asia should become a yardstick for the rise of China as a global power and of the relative decline of America. But that is what Beijing appears to have achieved with its Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank. Nearly 50 countries have now signed up to the new multilateral lender, including some of America's closest allies, even though Washington lobbied furiously to dissuade them from doing so. The Obama administration seems to regard the AIIB as a Chinese attempt to rival established multilateral institutions where the US has a strong voice. Equally, international support for the AIIB can be seen as an endorsement for China's emergence as an important player in the international global system. Joining me to discuss the latest developments is Ed Luce, our chief US commentator, and Alan Beatty, a commentator on international economy. Alan, can I start with you? Is there a case for such a new lender? Well, there's certainly a case that there's a big gap that needs to be filled. I mean, there's literally trillions of dollars worth of need for infrastructure in the developing and emerging market world. The private sector has come in and funded a chunk of it, but there's always longer term projects that need some sort of public backing. And certainly if you look around, you know, the rest of the emerging world, you've seen all sorts of banks and and institutions spring up, like, for example, the Andean Development Corporation that hardly anyone's heard of but it does more infrastructure lending in Latin America now than the World Bank and the Inter-American Development Bank combined. So there clearly is a huge amount of demand there, and China, with its vast foreign exchange reserves, is really in a very good position to bankroll any institution that tries to fill it. But what do we know about how this institution will operate? Isn't it a Chinese-dominated vehicle? Well, this is the interesting thing, you see. I mean, as you correctly pointed out in the introduction, this is widely seen as being about China's rising power and the shift from Washington to Beijing. Now, of course, that is true. However, China has actually been doing lots of unilateral or bilateral lending with its reserves, I mean, hundreds of billions of of it over the last few years. And indeed, its own bilateral lending now dwarfs the World Bank's lending by some considerable margin. What's interesting about this for me is not just that other countries are coming across to China's institution, but that China is letting them. In other words, China has had to go at doing this development lending on its own. It's found actually it's more difficult than it looks, and it would like some political legitimacy, and it would like some cover from more established lenders. And that's one of the reasons it's accepting all of these first-born countries into the bank. So, Ed, why is Washington so worried about this move? Um, I think Washington, even to itself, admits it's miscalculated heavily on this move. As you know, the U.S. Congress has been unable five years later to approve the increased quota at the IMF, which would give China a weighting more proportionate to its size. It would certainly not be in a position politically to approve U.S. membership of the AIIB. There's just no chance politically Congress is going to pass capital increases for any international institution at this stage. I think the perception, though, is that the Obama administration mishandled this by giving an all-or-nothing diktat to its allies, to the UK and others. And it's now trying to row back desperately. So Jack Liu, the US Treasury Secretary, was in China this week, and he was sounding a lot more emollient on the the AIIB. I think there's been confusion in the Obama administration, and it's now trying to do damage repair. What did its 
initial reaction tell us that this was driven by a certain, is it paranoia about the rise of China and its spreading influence across the rest of Asia and the willingness of America's allies to do business with it? Yes, I mean, I think you're either with us or against us was the Obama administration's instinctive stand, which is a pretty crude way of pressuring allies, particularly if you don't know which way they're going to turn. Now that they've turned the wrong way, I think there's a great concern, understandably, that China is going to perceive America's stance as one of containment, not as one of strategic partnership, which has been America's official stance and the official rationale for Obama's pivot to Asia. Successive U.S. administrations have called on China to be a responsible stakeholder in the international system. And the AIIB, as Adam pointed out, the terms on which China is allowing this institution to form by agreeing, for example, to drop its veto as a price for the UK and others to enter. The terms on which it's allowing the AIIB to emerge are pretty responsible by China's past standards. This is the kind of thing you'd like to see China doing. And the US appears to have belied its official stance by reacting with panic and seeing China as a rival. And I think that the danger here is that the hardliners in China, the nationalists, are only going to see their worldview confirmed that America wants to stop its rise. It wants to contain China. Ironically, the Chinese have also given the Americans a lesson in the use of soft power, haven't they? I mean, you have analysts in Washington who'd complain that the Obama administration has not engaged sufficiently in terms of wooing China's neighbours with money and other things to make them more loyal to American objectives in the region. The Chinese are teaching the US how to do it, aren't they? To some degree, yes. I mean, I think the key thing we're now going to be focusing on and the Obama administration will be focusing on is the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the 12-member trade talks that are going on, which, of course, includes Japan, but not China. And if the Obama administration is unable to bring that to a conclusion, if it's unable to persuade Congress to pass fast-track authority, trade promotion authority, then that's going to be a really serious blow to U.S. soft power. And you're going to see a real lift there to other Chinese initiatives in the region because it's not just the AIIB that China is pushing. It's got a lot of projects going on, the BRICS Bank. It's got Silk Road infrastructure financing going on. It's got a lot of multilateral initiatives. And if the U.S. is unable to push through its one big multilateral initiative, one that excludes China, I think that will be seen as a very serious blow to America's soft power in the region and the credibility of President Obama's pivot to Asia. Alan, why do you think America's allies defied it and jumped on board with the Chinese on this project? Is it because they just see China in fundamentally different terms from the US or was it slightly more craven? Um, I think it's partly both. I mean, I think partly they don't have the sense of, of strategic rivalry with China simply because they are not military rivals with China. You know, none of the European countries involved maintain significant amounts of military presence in Asia. They don't have warships teaming through Asia. They don't have security alliances in, in the same way. So it just kind of involves giving up less, as it were, of their own influence and their own sovereignty. But I also think, as, as Ed says, there's a sort of exasperation among other countries with U.S. inaction on the IMF and also the way that the U.S. has run the World Bank, you know, mulishly insisting that it has to be the country that appoints the president, which is the de facto right it's already had, appointed in the current sense a really quite underpowered academic, you know, rather than the very, very competent candidates from the emerging market world. And finally, China simply has the money. You know, if you want to join an institution 
that's going to have significant amounts of money to lend. You need to join one that's going to be backed by a country with large amounts of reserves. So I think it's the fact that the European and other countries are more pragmatic than the US is. They don't have their own strategic rivalries. And in the absence of leadership from Washington, they'll take leadership from Beijing. So many of the details of this new lender have not yet been worked out. Standards and transparency, governance. Many of those may actually turn out to be deal breakers from some of the countries who've pledged their interest or willingness to participate in it. Do you think the Americans may end up having the last laugh? It's quite possible that, you know, it's absolutely right that one thing that's not been worked out is how much the price of inviting in, particularly Western European countries onto the bank's board, will mean having to invite in all the scrutiny that comes with that. You know, all those countries have extremely active NGO movements, which have forced a great deal of transparency and a lot of rules surrounding environmental concerns and human rights and resettlement and so on concerns on lending in the World Bank because of their government's role in the World Bank. I'm absolutely sure that they will try. I don't know how much they'll succeed, but they will absolutely try to get exactly this kind of same thing done in the AIIB. So with inviting these countries in, these governments in, China's also invited a great deal of pressure for transparency. And if it pushes back very hard on that transparency, it may well be difficult for Western European governments that have commitments, you know, to transparency themselves and to promoting development and so on. It may be very difficult for them to continue and to play an active role in the bank. Okay, that's it for this week. My thanks to Ed Luce and Alan Beatty. World Weekly is produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.